Welcome to The Church Door, a place where I can post my Bible studies and sermons for your listening pleasure. I'm the Reverend Matthew Fenn, pastor of St. Peter's Evangelical Lutheran Church in Stratford, Ontario. Thanks for tuning us in. Lord God, you have caused all your holy scriptures to be written for our learning. May we so hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by the patience and comfort offered by your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast to the blessed hope of eternal life, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. So this morning, we're going to look briefly at the Reformation, because today is... Reformation Day. We're going to kind of unpack what happened um, and how that affects us and why that's still an issue today and why and how that affects our uh, life as Christians. So if somebody was to say to you or ask you, are you saved how would you answer? Yes. yes. <laughs> Unequivocally, right? That's right. And if they asked you to point to the moment at which you were saved, what, how would you answer? <laughs> baptism. Nice. Uh, me, it wouldn't be baptism. Because I, w- I was converted, converted as an adult and became a believer. But for most of you, it's baptism. For me, it would be the word. Now, how would, how do you suppose somebody in the Middle Ages would answer that question? That's an interesting thought. See, we, we readily enough can point to baptism or point to the word and say, that's, that's when I was saved. But what about the Middle Ages? What would they say before the Reformation? That's, that's um, the interesting thing. Now, the Catholic Church and the medieval Catholic Church does not teach, did not teach, and still does not teach that you're saved by your own works. Not technically. Not in the crass way. They don't believe that if you do enough good, you're going to go to heaven. Not not in that explicit kind of in-your-face way. It's more subtle than that, right? It's, it's, it's not quite that in-your-face. Um, in the early church, there was a guy named Pelagius who was condemned as a heretic. Pelagius taught that you could save yourself if you just tried hard enough. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You don't need anybody's help. You just need a good self-help manual, and you're on your way. So everybody rejects that. So nobody in, in, in any Christian denomination denies grace alone. The Roman Catholic Church does not deny grace alone. They never have, and they never will, because they're not Pelagian. No Baptists, no Pentecostals, none of us deny grace alone. The problem's elsewhere. So, to look at what caused the Reformation, we've got to understand 
something about how the Catholic system works. The medieval Catholic system. It's changed a little bit since, since 500 years, right? The, the Catholic Church of today is not the same Catholic Church it was 500 years ago, right? Um, we'd have to sit down and discuss with them, and we have. Where, where, how have you gone after 500 years? You've had Vatican II, you've switched to modern, right? There's all sorts of different issues. That's a different study. So, a Catholic in the Middle Ages was baptized. And if they sinned after that, what were they supposed to do? Do penance. The Reformation is a controversy about penance, about private confession. Right? Raise your hand if you knew that. It's a controversy about private confession. Okay, so in the Middle Ages... They made a distinction. All your sins have two consequences. And we, we have echoes of this. They're not wrong, but they take it the wrong way. When you confess in a few moments in setting three, I believe that I have deserved your temporal and eternal punishment. Do you hear that? We say it too. Temporal and eternal punishment. So, when you go to confession... And you confess your sins to the priest in, in the Middle Ages. The, the priest forgives your sins. He pronounces absolution. I absolve thee of all your sins, right? But that only gets rid of the eternal guilt of sin. So what does that mean? That means if you, in the Middle Ages, if you go to your Catholic priest and you confess your sins, and you die, where will you eventually end up? Heaven. Because the eternal guilt has been taken care of. The eternal guilt tells whether or not you go to heaven or hell, right? You follow, you're tracking with me? Eternal guilt? Okay. The temporal guilt, the temporal punishment. This is easy to understand. If you steal, you have to pay it back, right? There's a consequence, an earthly consequence for your action. And so in the Catholic, medieval Catholic system, every sin that's venial, that doesn't um, condemn you to hell, right? Has a temporal earthly punishment. But what happens if you die? Oh, take a step back. And so the Catholic priest, he pronounces absolution and then he does what? He gives you something to do, right? Go say 10 Hail Marys. Go on a pilgrimage to this holy site and see this relic. Um, go help the poor, right? He gives you something to do. And that is supposed to offset your temporal punishment, right? What happens if you die and you've accrued a whole bunch of temporal punishments which you haven't paid off yet. Purgatory. Right? That's where purgatory comes in. You go to purgatory. You finish up all your, your time. You, 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 you pay up your debt. And at the end of that, your, your soul's good. You're purged from sin. You paid your temporal punishments. Jesus pays for your eternal punishments. And then you're off to heaven. 
right? Nobody in purgatory ends up in hell. They all eventually go to heaven, according to Catholic teaching. Um, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, 1960-something. Oh, wait, wait, before I get there, actually. So what's an indulgence? An indulgence is when you do something special or pay, in, it used to be, pay some money to the church, <laughs> they would lessen your temporal punishment. It would either remove part of your temporal punishment or if it was called plenary, a plenary indulgence, all of your temporal punishments which you have accrued are remitted. Straight to heaven. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Right? Okay. I know it's complex, but that's... You have temporal eternal punishments. You go to your your priest. He forgives you. That gets you to heaven. Deals with your eternal punishments. You still have temporal punishments. So the priest gives you a satisfaction. And at the end of your life, you've accrued all these... uh, punishments that you deserve. So you go to purgatory, you spend some time there, pay your dues, and then you end up in heaven. Or you can um, get an indulgence, do something special, and the church can take away some of your time or get you out completely and you can go straight to heaven when you die. You can also pay some... You can, if you have a lot of money, you can also pay, um, pay priests and monks to say mass on your behalf of your departed soul so that they can apply the benefits of the Lord's Supper to your dead soul so that it can go to heaven. All right? These are the issues that are at play in the Reformation. And this, the issues that have caused the Reformation have not changed. Like I said, this is the Catechism of the Catholic Church from 1960-something. This is the current teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. The remission before God of all temporal punishment due to sin, whose guilt has already been forgiven, is an indulgence. A properly disposed member of the Christian faithful, that means you're repentant, can obtain an indulgence under the prescribed conditions through the help of the church. Why? Because the church is the minister of redemption and dispenses and applies with authority the treasure of satisfaction of the Christ and the saints. So Jesus and the saints earned merit. They, they went above and beyond the call of duty and they have extra. And so the church has this treasury of righteousness that they can dole out to you as you need, see fit. So an indulgence is partial if it removes the temporal punishment of, of sin due to penance or plenary if it removes all the punishment. And a faithful can, indain, can gain indulgences for themselves or on behalf of the dead. Okay. Any questions about that before I move on? That's your background. That's, that's the controversy. That's the state of things. So, there was this guy named Pope Leo X. He wanted to build a really big church called, what's it called? Do you guys know? St. Peter's Basilica. Still there. 
right? It's a big tourist attraction. So every time you, if you ever go to Italy on a vacation and you go to St. Peter's Basilica, just remember that this, this thing split, this building split Christendom right in two. Why? Because Leo needed money to pay for this gigantic church he wanted to build. And so the bank happened to be in Germany. And so he took out a loan to do it. Um, now, the best way that he could th- think of to earn back this money that he's loaned was ha- um, to sell something that was in his treasury. And so since he's the Pope and he has the treasury of merits, he can hold an indulgence sale. Now, he doesn't want to do that himself. So he calls up the Archbishop of Mainz, which is in Germany, a guy named Albrecht, and has him do it. Well, Albrecht of Mainz doesn't want to do it either. So he hires a group of, pre, uh, a group of monks called Dominicans to go around and do indulgence preaching. And so they're, they're making money to pay for St. Peter's Basilica. Now, Miss, there, one of the ones who was famous was a guy named Johann Tetzel. This guy would give used Carl Shalesman a bad name. Um, he said that if you violated the Virgin Mary herself and then bought his indulgence, your crime would be committed. He went so far beyond what the actual thing is. Oh, by the way, um, those indulgences... They're only good for sins you actually confess. (laughs) If you didn't confess it, it's not forgiven. Right? You have to, in the Catholic system, you have to confess all your sins. So Martin Luther would do what? He would spend hours and hours confessing every piddly little sin because he realized, if I don't confess it, it's not going to be forgiven and I'm going to die and go to hell. I don't want to do that. I need to have them, right? Okay. Um, Now, the premier, we would call it, the, the, the elector, the prince, Frederick the Wise, he didn't like this because he, he realizes that if I pay, if my people are taking money out of their coffers to pay for these indulgences, it's just going back to Rome. And so German money is going to Rome, uh, to Italy. And I don't want my German money going to Italy. Besides, says Frederick, I've got this wonderful bit of relics and I want people on November 1st, All Saints Day, to come to my relics and get money from me to pay admission to see all my holy bits and pieces. And so he says the Dominicans can't come into Germany, into his uh, Saxony, into his uh, section. Okay. So then, on October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther, who is a doctor of theology and uh, Augustinian friar um, and professor uh, at the University of Wittenberg, he's also very upset about the sale of indulgences. So what does he do? He writes 95 theses. A thesis is, a, is something for academic debate. Right? It's in Latin. It's not in German. And he, 
And what you would do is you would, you would write out your side of the debate in points that you would then be expected to argue for, right? So he posts, he posts that, and he's challenging the Dominicans for a debate. Now, in these kinds of situations, you have to submit your, um, your theses to your spiritual superior to check for heresy. Who, have, who was Martin Luther's spiritual superior? Albrecht of Mainz, the guy who's commissioned the Dominicans to come. And Luther doesn't know that. <laughs> so Luther's sending this and says, look what these nasty Dominicans are doing, not knowing that Albrecht is the one who told them, not knowing that the Pope is the one who told Albrecht to do it. So Luther's, not, he doesn't see the whole picture at this point, and very soon he will. So he posts them for debate. But because uh, of the, and his students grab, so he does two things. Um, he posts them on the church, the castle church door, which is the town bulletin board. Um, and there's some people who are not, we're not entirely sure he actually did that. But it's, whatever. Uh, but what he did do absolutely is he put the letter in the mail to Albrecht of Mainz on the 31st. Um, and that goes off, and his students some, somehow get a copy of this, and it's in Latin, and so his students translate it into German um, and bring it to the printers, and the printers think this is hot stuff, and overnight, seemingly, it's been translated into many European languages and being printed all over Germany, and now he's got a controversy on his hands. And so Luther, in the year following... So, what is Luther's criticism? His criticism is two points. First, if he thought that if you gave money for an indulgence, that that discouraged doing good works. Right? Um, If you can... uh, So, think of a Catholic priest. He's thinking, no, no. If you're, You're supposed to tell them to go and feed the poor and, and, and do works of charity, not put money in a box and, and not have to do that. So he's thinking, this is discouraging people from doing good works. Um, so according to Luther, Christians should repent of sin and then they should focus on the good works commanded by Jesus instead of on a promise of an indulgence. And second, he questioned the Pope's power to forgive sins in purgatory. Instead, he said, if the church imposes a punishment on you, then the Pope can, can forgive those. But if the Pope, he says, if the Pope had power to forgive the sins in purgatory, why wouldn't he, out of Christian charity, just release everybody? <laughs> and that's one of the 95 theses. Um, so, um, then in, in 1518, so this is in this year following, um, it, we, we, we date the Reformation there, 1517, the posting of the theses, the debate over indulgences. Luther still hasn't quite yet got the whole justification by faith thing. It's, it's still kind of coming. Um, then he writes a work um, in 1518, 
And um, he's, it, it was, what's it called? Um, da, 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 da. It's called On the True Way to Question and Console Frightened Consciences. Now, that's not been translated into English, unfortunately. He did a sermon the following year, which is largely, it follows the same bits. Um, and, and it's a summary of that work. So Luther writes um, a commentary on the 95 Theses, because the, the debate never happened. And then he writes this thing, okay? And it, think of the question. Okay, if you take away indulgences, where am I supposed to find comfort? And that's, that's what he answers. So listen to Luther here, a couple quotes. He says that you shouldn't place your comfort, your assurance of salvation, should not be in how, re- how remorseful you were because you did the sin, or and it should not be in the fact that you put money in a box and a priest told you that if you put money in the box, your soul would get out of purgatory, right? You shouldn't also put it, your, your confidence in how well you um, pay for your sin by doing good works. Where does Luther say you uh, should go? He says... You had better not go to the priest if you will not believe his absolution. You will be doing yourself great harm by your disbelief. By such disbelief, you make God to be a liar when, through his priest, he says to you, you are loosed from your sins, and you respond back, I don't believe it, or I doubt it. As if you were more certain in your opinion than God is in his words. Whereas you should be letting personal opinion go and with an unshakable faith giving place to the word of God spoken through the priest. For if you doubt whether your absolution is approved by God and whether you are rid of sins, then this is the same as saying Jesus has not spoken the truth. Do you get his point? It's the same point he makes um, 20 years later in the small catechism. Um, which you probably know best. Confession has two parts. First, that we confess our sins. And second, that we receive absolution, that is forgiveness from the pastor, as from God himself, not doubting, but firmly believing that by it, that is by the forgiveness pronounced by the pastor, that our sins are forgiven by God in heaven. Do you catch it? Luther's thought goes like this. Jesus said in Matthew, or in John 20, 23, to the apostles, right? And to all pastors afterwards, anybody's sins you forgive, they are forgiven, right? He's giving the church the authority to forgive sins. And so Luther thinks, this is his, this is his thought. Jesus says, I forgive you all your sins. Jesus never lies. He always tells the truth. So, my sins are forgiven. That's his logic. Very simple. Jesus said, I'm forgiven. He doesn't lie. So I'm forgiven. It's that easy. And he says that if you don't believe, when, when, the, when, the, when the priest pronounces absolution, pronounces forgiveness, if you don't believe him, you're Calling God a liar. Because <laughs> Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. 
So this is what Luther writes between, uh, in that year after he posts the 95 Theses. He starts to get it. Um, This is important because the idea of that we are justified, forgiven by faith alone, comes, it's connected to, tied to the sacraments. That's, um, Luther, this is what, um, (laughs) this big article says, why Luther is not quite Protestant. (laughs) Because Luther has a Catholic understanding of the sacraments. These things give you grace. Right? That's not what you will hear at other Protestant denominations. They're signs, they're symbols. That's not Luther, that's Zwingli. That's a different Reformation, completely. Nothing to do with us. (laughs) Luther says, these things give you grace, because Jesus says so. So, in 1518, October 1518, one year later, there was a parliament in um, Augsburg. Uh, They called it Diet. And the Pope sent a cardinal, a guy named Cayetan. This guy was a smarty pants. He had written a whole big commentary on uh, Thomas Aquinas' gigantic phone book of theology called the Summa. Um, And it's a phone book. I have a copy at home. It's like this thick. Um, He wrote a big commentary on it. He's a smarty pants. He was sent by the Pope to be the Pope's representative and also to talk with Luther, put Luther back reconcile Luther to the church. In preparation, he read everything Luther had read. So he goes, and um, they're supposed to be getting, um, supposed to be talking to one another, and, and Luther is supposed to recant, and Cayetan is supposed to accept this and, and move on. Um, instead, it turns into a debate. They debate about uh, and the debate about indulgences quickly moves into, well, the Pope said this in some random document of dubious quality a couple hundred years ago. And why should I trust that over what the Bible says? <laughs> That's Luther's question. I'm not, I'm not rash enough, I'm not bold enough to deny what God says for some document of dubious quality a couple hundred years ago by some guy, right? But the Reformation break, the split between us and Rome happens at that meeting. Why? Because Cayetan, the cardinal, starts asking Luther about his writings about penance. And he says, how can... And so the disagreement is for Cayetan and the Catholics of the time... You can't say that, Luther. You can't say that you can trust the word of the priest. That's pride. How dare you claim that you know that your sins are forgiven? Sure, you can know that the Bible is the word of God, but the priest has to make a... He's not forgiving you because Jesus told you. He's forgiving you because he's, in his judgment, is saying you're repentant enough, and he's forgiving you also because 
Um, he's hoping that in advance you're going to do all the works of satisfaction that he's commanded you to do. And then you don't know whether or not you've done the works enough or the priest is, um, <laughs> or the priest is uh, correct in his judgment about your heart. Or if, right? And so, and so he, and that's, so you can't, he says, you can't know for sure. You can hope. But you can't have faith. You can't trust that this is the actual word of God. And that's where Luther says, no. Jesus said, anybody sins you forgive, they are forgiven. He said, I forgive you. So I should trust that. I'm not going to call Jesus a liar. And that's the, that's the, that's the split. That's where the, the Reformation really starts to split off. And, and Cayetan is... He's never heard this kind of trust in this kind of description of what faith is and trust before. Um, Luther, nearing the end of his life in in his Galatians commentary, talks about this exact thing. He says, for one thing, the papists are giving the impression today that they have done nothing wrong. Therefore, they must be convicted on the basis of their own abominations, which they spread throughout the world, as is attested in their own books. And although it's obvious that the enemies of Christ teach what is uncertain, because they command consciences to be in doubt, still, they are so filled with the madness of Satan that they're that in their smugness they condemn and kill us who disagree with them as though we were heretics, and they were completely certain of their doctrine. Let's thanks, let us thank God, therefore, that we have been delivered from this monster of uncertainty. That's what Luther calls this. He calls it the monster of uncertainty. How will you ever know that you're saved if all you have is doubts? Right? And so... The Pope commands at the time, you must believe this on pain of your immortal soul. And then he commands you to doubt it, (laughs) to doubt. So you are commanded on pains of your immortal soul to doubt your own salvation because that would be pride. (laughs) And he called Luther calls this the monster of uncertainty. Um. Let us, thank, let us thank God, therefore, that we have been delivered from this monster of uncertainty. And now we believe for a certainty that the Holy Spirit is crying and issuing that sigh that's too deep for words in our hearts. And this is our foundation. The gospel commands us to look not at our own good deeds or perfection, but at God himself as he promises and at Christ himself, the mediator. By contrast, the Pope commands us to look not at God as he promises, nor at Christ our high priest, but at our own works and merits. For the latter course, doubt and despair will always follow. But the former, certainty and joy of the Spirit. For if I am clinging to God who cannot lie, he says, I am giving my son into death so that by his blood he might redeem you from sin and death. Here, I can't have any doubts unless I want to deny God altogether. (laughs) Do you get the point? 
It's the God has given us Jesus, right? That's the Reformation breakthrough. God has promised us Jesus. And through his word, it, that promise comes to us through the private confession of a pa- to a pastor, through baptism, through a- the Lord's Supper, through preaching, through reading his word. God's promises come to you. And those are true and certain. And unbelief is saying, no, God's a liar. So that's, so the, the, that's the, and that, that's where, from there, the debate moves on to authority, right? The authority of scripture versus the authority of the Pope. Look for a second. At our, at our, let's see. Okay, let's look, let, to conclude, you know, that's all nice that Luther said that. What's, what's the Bible say? Well, we've quoted one, we've quoted one, um, we've quoted one passage. Anybody sins you forgive, they are forgiven. But let's look at our epistle lesson. Because our epistle lesson is chosen for today. For a reason. And I'm not preaching on it today. Um, but let's look at it. Romans chapter 3. Um, does it start at verse 19? Okay. Now we know that whatever the law says, the law, the Ten Commandments, right? Whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped. And the whole world held accountable to God. Right? The commandments, shut your mouth. Right? (laughs) Because when you read them, you realize, ah, crap. That's me. I broke them again. Right? That's... For no human being will be justified, declared not guilty, right, In in a court will be justified in his sight by works of the law, since through through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Right? That's why this is what we mean when we say the law is a mirror. It shows you your sin. But now, the righteousness of God, God's commitment to keep his own promises, has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Whose faithfulness do you count on? Uh, Some of your translations may say, if you're looking at a different one, faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, In Greek, it could be faith or faithfulness of Jesus Christ. The phrase is identical. Um, But it's through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ for all who believe. Whose faithfulness counts? Is it yours? (laughs) It's... Jesus' faithfulness. And how do you get it? By believing. (laughs) For there is no distinction, since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and they are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation or expiation by His blood 
to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. It was to prove at the present time that he himself is righteous and that he justifies him who has faith in Jesus. What becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. On what principle? On a principle of works? No, but by a principle of faith. For here it is. Listen, if you don't listen, we hold that a man is justified by faith, apart from works of the law. That's the, this text is so rich. <laughs> There's so much going on here. But he's basically telling you this. Jesus died. Or you're a sinner. You have nothing, you have no grounds to stand with on God because if God were to judge you by the Ten Commandments, you would always come short. But God keeps his promises. And he sent Jesus. Jesus was faithful. Jesus kept the law. <laughs> he always did what was right. And then, not only did Jesus live a, live a perfect life, Jesus was then crucified and died for you to be the atonement for your sin. To be the sacrifice. To make up. Why? So that it could be proven beyond any shadow of a doubt that God loves you and God keeps his promises. And if you trust in the crucified Jesus, that God will forgive you. He'll judge you not guilty. That's Luther reads Romans and he says, this is not what I learned. There's no monster of uncertainty here. This commands me to believe if Jesus, if we are, if we hold that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law, if God said it, that settles it. Unless we want to call God a liar, and I don't think we do. And this issue is what separates us from other denominations. This is what still separates us from Rome, right? We're not, we're separated from Rome because Rome still hasn't, Although they've made lots of great reformations. They have. Right? The, the Latin Mass isn't in Latin anymore, is it? Lots of good things they've done. They, they restored the cup. Right? They didn't have the cup. They didn't, you couldn't get the cup in the Middle Ages. But they still haven't reformed the gospel. And so, we're here. And if you want to know why are Lutherans different from all the other groups. It comes down to only one thing. Because here, we believe that what that guy did for us is everything. And we trust in that come hell or high water. And, you know, you bet the blue chips on Jesus and God will keep you safe because God does not lie. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that Through your holy word, you have promised us forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. We thank you that you have given us a sure and certain promise of this. And we ask, Lord, that uh, of your mercy, you would keep us in the faith, trusting in your promises uh, all the way to eternal life. This we pray through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You've been listening to The Church Door. 
Thanks again for tuning in. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback, you can reach me, Pastor Matthew Fenn, at RevFenn, R-E-V-F-E-N-N, at iCloud.com. Look forward to having you with us again next time.